would and open it to two places, actually, uh, Mark chapter 4 and uh, Romans chapter 14. And this is our fifth week of this series called Kingdom Come. And what we've been learning is that Jesus self-described his mission as the preaching of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And what we've been learning is that he came not, not merely to get us to heaven, but to get heaven into us, and by extension, us to heaven. When Jesus preached the kingdom, he was preaching the, the imminent, the, the present tense experience of God's leadership in our lives with all the freedom and the joy that that brings. He wasn't just preaching that we should get our passes stamped to someday go to the great party on the other side. He preached the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is near. It's here. It's coming. It's begun. And we've been uh, kind of exploring what that means. We're going to continue to do that this morning. And I want to begin by, by telling you something that probably most of you already know. And that is that I'm kind of a weirdo. Raise your hand if you would say amen to that. Go ahead and put your hand up, right? <laughs> Those of you who know me would agree with that. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm a kind of a weirdo, and, and so are you. I want to talk with you about that a little bit this morning. <laughs> Let me tell you first how weird I am. I, I can watch the same 12 episodes of a single TV show from 45 years ago and laugh every time at the same jokes. I don't know if you're familiar with Faulty Towers, but that's, uh, that's the funniest show ever made. I've been watching, ask my wife, I've been watching the same 12 episodes for literally 45 years, and they're still funny. That's how weird I am. I can tell myself jokes and then bust out laughing. Anybody with me? I can do that. I can actually do that. It might be a guy thing because I haven't met a lot of ladies who do that, but I met a few guys who do that. Um, you know, I watch documentaries on physics when I'm on an airplane. We came back from a conference with the staff a while ago, and everybody was talking about the movies they watched on the airplane. What did you watch, Pastor Greg? Well, I watched a documentary on physics. What? is wrong with you, they said, and to this day, they won't let me live that down. I'm a weirdo. I think battleships are beautiful. Somebody say amen if you feel that. I mean, they're just like something there that just moves you. I like broccoli. In fact, I love broccoli casserole. Some of you are thinking, there is something wrong with you. You just haven't had my wife's broccoli casserole. I notice immediately if the furniture in whatever room I walk into is asymmetrical. I hate that. Everything needs to be even. My wife messes with me at home because she'll go by and she'll just move a chair a little bit and she knows that as soon as I walk through the door, whoa, something's wrong here. I'm a weirdo. I am perfectly comfortable saying nothing for long periods of time. You might find that hard to believe, but it's very true. Even in a room full of people, I'm, I'm comfortable just to listen and not say anything. I can spend hours, in fact, I have many times inside of an MRI machine without freaking out. It doesn't bother me. I don't know why. I could go on and on like this. I'm a weirdo. So are you. At the same time, Along with the weird stuff, I have some non-weird normal stuff to offer. Um, I can write reasonably well. I can be remarkably full of grace at times. I'm a decent dad. I occasionally succeed as a husband. I seem to have a little bit of a knack for helping people understand the Bible. You get the idea. I have ups as well as downs 
so do you. The question is, what do you choose to see? What do you choose to see in me? What do I choose to see in you? What do we choose to see in each other? If you want to find something to indict me for, it won't be very hard. I can be insensitive, I can be self-centered, I can be foolish, I can be pig-headed, and a bunch of other things. If you need a longer list, touch base with my wife after service, she'll help you out. On the other hand, if you want to find something to like about me, or maybe even to admire about me, you can. If you choose to, that's the key, if you choose to. And this is true of all of us. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. In other words, love chooses what it sees. Let me say that again. Love chooses what it sees, and that makes all the difference. Every mom thinks her kids are the most special kids ever because she chooses what she sees. And so here's the question I ask at the outset this morning and that we're going to explore. When it comes to other believers, what do you choose to see? When it comes to your fellow follower of Jesus, what do you choose to see? We've been learning about the kingdom of God and the gospel of the kingdom these last few weeks. Um, we've been learning that, that Jesus didn't preach backstage, pa backstage passes to the party after the show. That instead, in preaching the gospel of the kingdom, he offered, uh, he gave invitations to us to get on stage with the band, to join God in what he's doing. We learned in the second week that the, the gospel of the kingdom is not about crossing boundaries. It's about changing direction. And we learned that someone can be outside of the boundaries but facing in the right direction and Jesus rejoices. Others can be inside the boundaries and facing the wrong direction. And Jesus says, hey, there's a huge problem here. We learned that, that the gospel of the kingdom is not permission to keep going the wrong way when you've made a wrong turn. Instead, it's an invitation to discover the freedom of turning around and correcting that wrong turn. And last week, we learned that the gospel of the kingdom is, is not a, a call to go with the flow, but to love enough to be unpopular, to even, in Jesus' words, be willing to be hated for the right reasons. This morning, God wants to talk to us about the fact that the kingdom of God is what happens when you choose what you see in other believers. So I invited you to turn to Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going to begin this morning. Listen to what the Lord says, uh, beginning with verse 26 of chapter 4. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, and night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. In other words, what, what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God, hear, hear me church, is a gradual thing that grows by a power beyond our perceiving. 
Now, we learned early in our journey that the kingdom of God mustn't be thought of primarily as a geographical place. When the Pharisees asked Jesus when and where it would come, he said, it won't come with your careful observation. The kingdom is within you. The kingdom is among you, Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Here in this parable, Jesus is focusing on two other realities of the kingdom. The first one is that the kingdom of God grows in you and me. Church, please hear this, especially those of us who have tender consciences. The kingdom of God grows in you by a supernatural power beyond your perception. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that it grows by your effort or your power. It grows by a supernatural power beyond your perception. Look at the the details Jesus calls our attention to in that story. He says, night and day, whether the farmer sleeps or gets up, the seed grows. All by itself, Jesus said, the soil produces grain. Though the farmer does not know how, Jesus said, the seed produces life. Jesus wants us to understand that, church, because very often we become discouraged by our own lack of power, by our own inability to bring about the changes in our lives that our, our souls crave. Jesus wants us to understand that that change comes by a power beyond our perception. To put it another way, once you turn towards Jesus, the kingdom of God begins to grow in you by a power beyond your understanding and, and sometimes beyond your perception. But it works. You can count on it. This is why Jesus told this story, and this is what he wants you and I to understand. I remember when I first became a follower of Jesus, my wife and I were young adults. We were married before we uh, became Christians, and, and so we brought a lot of baggage with us into this new life. And one of the things I brought with me was in my teenage years and, and, and early adulthood, you know, I just had a thing for horror movies. Don't ask me to explain why. I, t- I already told you I'm a weirdo, so just there it was. I had this thing for horror movies. It didn't take very long after I became a believer that the Holy Spirit began to say to me, you know, Greg, that's not the most wholesome stuff you can put in your brain. You know, Greg, this isn't really something that Jesus digs. In fact, this is kind of not good for you on a whole bunch of levels. But I found that as the Holy Spirit began to say that to me, there was a part of me that resisted, but I I like it. And then I entered into kind of a despair where I thought, how can I ever change what I like? Jesus, how can I follow you down this road? I know that I can't change what I like. And so for a year or two there, I lived with a kind of despair, this tension, this back and forth, this push and pull. And, and you know, I would sneak out sometimes and still go see the newest horror movie and About a year went by, and a buddy of mine from high school called up. He says, hey, I'm in town. Let's go see a movie. I said, okay. So we went out. We grabbed some dinner. We went to a movie. It was a horror movie. And I found myself, I'll never forget this, sitting next to my buddy in the middle of the movie, and I knew a scary part was coming, and all of a sudden, I looked down. I'm looking at my shoes. I don't want to see that. And then I looked up after that part, and then I knew a gory part was coming. I went, you know, I kind of don't want to see that. And I looked down, and my buddy goes, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. I kind of don't want to see that. He goes, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. And for the rest of the film, I kind of looked away, and then afterwards we walked out, and he said, man, what's going on with you? I said, I don't know, but something is. He said, that was awesome, wasn't it? I said, no, I kind of didn't like it. He said, why? I said, well, you're destroying the image of God, a human body, and this is no good. And 
He said, you got issues, dude. <laughs> I got in my car and I, you know, I drove back home and all the way home I thought, something is happening to me. I am changing, not under my own power. God's changing me. And Jesus told this parable so that you and I would understand this. The kingdom of God is something that happens in us by a supernatural power beyond our perception. Notice what Jesus also says in that little story. He says the kingdom of God grows gradually over time. He says first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. If you step into the experience of the kingdom in this story at the beginning, you don't see much. Just a seed in the ground. You stop by a little later, you begin to see a stalk emerging, but still no fruit, nothing really. And then you stop by a little later, and suddenly it's producing fruit. Church, what Jesus was teaching us in this moment is that nobody changes completely overnight. That's a media myth. Maybe you look in the mirror and don't see as much change as you hope for. Don't panic. The change is happening just more slowly than you want it to. Because the kingdom of God is a gradual process that involves the parts of you you can see and the parts of you you can't see. That involves the parts of you you feel and the parts of you that you don't feel. And because God is doing this complete work, it happens gradually. It takes time. It happens through a process. I remember when I first got married and I was in the military and Ron and I moved down to Southern California. And you guys, some of you may be able to tell now, although it's harder to tell now, but I was like the most baby-faced young man you ever saw in your life. Um, you know, they dressed me up in a Marine uniform and somebody says, hey, why is that middle schooler wearing a uniform? You know, it's just, you know, kind of a thing. So, the, you know, shortly after we got married, we moved down to California. We went to Disneyland and, and I'm taking my wife to Disneyland. We're only married a couple of months and, and we're wandering around and I know she's really into Mickey Mouse. And so, you know, she has to run off to use the ladies room and I, I snuck into a shop on the side. I'm going to buy her a Mickey Mouse watch. I know she'll just be thrilled by that. I really want When I went in, there was this one elderly lady working the counter and me. She said, oh, how can, what can I help you with, young man? I said, well, I need to find a good Mickey Mouse watch for my wife. And, and so we shopped around a little, and I found one, and, and I was paying for it. And she said, well, who are you buying this for? And I said, well, I'm, I'm buying it for my wife. She looked at me. She said, you're not old enough to be married. <laughs> Shut up, lady. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm older than you think I am. You know? But... I really wanted that to change for so long in my life, and it does. It's just more gradual than we want it to be. Nobody anymore says, you're not old enough for anything anymore. <laughs> kind of ship has sailed. But understand what Jesus is teaching us. It's a supernatural power, and it's gradual. Now, he kind of elaborates on this a little bit more over in Matthew 13. Listen to what he says in verses 31 and 32. He says, the kingdom of heaven is also like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field, though it's the smallest of all seeds. Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. In other words, the kingdom of God looks and feels tiny at first. It feels like a single prayer offered in a church service or in your living room or in the shower. It looks like a single choice made by a single person that no media outlet will ever cover or be aware of. But those little tiny beginnings don't stay small. They grow huge in the end. 
Last week, we talked about the reality of small obediences. Actually, two weeks ago, we talked about the reality of small obedience. Jesus keeps inviting us to the next small obedience. Why? Because that's how the kingdom grows, in little things. In our fleshliness and in our ignorance, we often chase big things. Jesus says the kingdom grows in little moments, in small places. Manfred Gutsky was a a renowned uh, Bible professor, Bible college professor, pastor, but that only happened in the second half of his life. In the first half of his life, he was a farmer in Saskatchewan. And when he was teaching at college, his students found out that he didn't become a believer till halfway through his life, and, and so they began to ask him about it and how it happened, and one of them said, uh, Professor Gutsky, do you remember the moment you became a believer? The exact moment. He thought for a moment, and then he said, yes, I do. And he said, well, when? Tell us about it. He said, well, one morning, I went out to feed my cows, and I was in this journey, And I looked up at the sunrise, and I realized for the first time that God was watching me go out to feed my cows. And so I took off my hat. What a tiny moment. Seems like nothing. But Jesus said the kingdom grows out of moments like that, tiny moments. I think of myself sitting in my front yard in May of 1985 in the Navy and, and reading C.S. Lewis's little book, Mere Christianity, and, and, and then finishing it and realizing, oh my goodness, life is about this guy Jesus. I don't even know who he is. God, I don't know who you are, but I just looked at the sky and said, okay, God, it's obviously about this Jesus thing. Take me from here. What a tiny moment. I went in the house and had hot dogs and potato salad, if I remember right. And yet, everything began to change. Tiny moments. Jesus wants us to understand that that's where the kingdom grows, in small obediences. And then one other thing the Lord says, over in verses 24 to 30 of Matthew 13, he says, the kingdom of God grows in an untidy mess. Here's how he put it, verses 24 to 30. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And his servants asked him, do you want us to pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with it. So let both grow together until the harvest. In other words, the kingdom of God doesn't grow in a neat and tidy garden or in some mathematically precise system that you can box and sell. It grows in a messy field half full of weeds. Sound like anybody's life you know? Raise your hand if that sounds like your life. That's exactly where the kingdom of God grows. In a messy field, in an untidy process. It grows in a way that that sometimes you look at it and say, I'm not sure we're winning here. But Jesus said, we are. We don't want to damage the weed. Let the weeds grow. Because in the end, the angels will separate them. The wheat will be fruitful. And that's the reality about you and me. Now, why is all this important? Why why did I just teach you those four things about the kingdom? That it is gradual, that it starts small, that it moves by supernatural power, that it's messy and untidy. Because our understanding of the kingdom of God is meant to show us how to recognize it in our midst and cooperate with it as it happens. 
So if it's gradual and supernatural, if it starts tiny and grows messy, then living in the kingdom of God means, as Peter told us at the beginning, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I, I mentioned my baby face earlier. I remember one morning when I was pastoring in, in Coeur d'Alene and a woman came into the foyer. It was kind of the morning crowd before service began and I was doing what I do and I, I saw her, didn't recognize her, so I greeted her. Older lady, she said, good morning, young man. My friend said there's a new pastor here and that I should come hear him speak. She said, do you know him? I, I can be a little passive aggressive. So I said, well, yeah, I do actually. She said, well, what do you think of him? I said, well, he's kind of a dork, if you want my opinion. <laughs> she was surprised. She said, you don't think much of him. I said, well, I know his wife isn't very impressed with him sometimes. <laughs> I'm just having a blast in this moment, right? Really, she said, you mean they don't get along? I said, well, I don't know. I've heard her chew him out a few times, though. And she said, oh, dear. She said, but, but, but he's a good preacher. I said, I can hardly stand to listen to him myself. <laughs> I said, but, but I guess I'm kind of stuck with him. Honey, she said, we got to work with what we have, right? <laughs> right, I said. She went into the church service. I didn't see her hear her in the foyer afterwards. I, I, I always wonder how that went. Um, but here's why I tell you this story. She looked and saw this young guy that couldn't possibly have anything to offer her in terms of what she thought she was looking for. But the Bible teaches us that God can and does use people that we don't expect in ways we can never guess. And living in the kingdom means recognizing that. He uses young people to teach old ones sometimes. Somebody say amen. He, he uses donkeys to preach to prophets. He uses giant fish to relocate missionaries. He uses little boys' lunches to feed crowds of thousands. He uses children to teach adults. He uses sinners to rebuke the self-righteous. He uses the weak to shame the strong. I go on and on. He makes the first last and the last first. He uses Gentiles to preach the gospel to the Jews, Samaritans to teach it to Israel, and Roman soldiers to model faith to his own disciples. I could go on and on. Here's what we want to take away is that the kingdom of God happens as we accept fellow believers where they are instead of where we think they should be. Yeah. The kingdom happens when we accept fellow believers where they are instead of where we think they should be. Uh, over in Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul talks about this. And he, listen to what he says about the kingdom of God. Verses 17 and 18 of Romans chapter 14, he says this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Now, let me, let me tell you why he said this and why he said it the way he said it. People in those days were drawing boundaries instead of gauging direction. And so back at the beginning of chapter 14, in verses 2 and 3, Paul says this. He says, one man's faith allows him to eat everything. Another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who doesn't, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Now, in our modern context, we need to have a little understanding here, so let me give you a, just a tiny bit of background. See, in those days, almost all meat 
that you acquired for your family was bought in the temple. Whatever temple, the temple to whoever. And so folks who, who didn't follow Jesus would go down to the marketplace to buy meat and would find primarily meat that had been sacrificed to other gods. And so there came kind of a division among believers. Some believers said, hey, if it's been sacrificed to another God, you shouldn't take it home and feed it to your family. And other believers said, no, it's not a big deal. He said, those gods aren't real. That's not, that's, it's all a big lie. We give thanks to God for the meat that we get in the marketplace, so we can go ahead and eat it. It's not a problem. And there began to be tension between believers about this. Some believers said, you can't eat any meat in the marketplace because it might have been sacrificed to another God. So we're just going to eat vegetables in order to be safe. And another crowd said, guys, it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. And there began to be tension. It's possible sometimes for believers to disagree about stuff. It's possible sometimes for something to be right for one person and wrong for another. Look at verses 5 and 6 of chapter 14. Paul writes, continuing the discussion, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. He who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. In other words, something can be right for one person, wrong for another. Now, one last piece of context. This whole discussion begins in verse 1 by saying, except whom whose faith is weak without passing judgment on, quote, disputable matters. So in Romans 14, Paul's not saying anything goes and just do what you want if it's okay with your mind and heart. He's talking about disputable matters. In this moment, he's not talking about crime, whether it's right or wrong. He's not talking about sexuality. He's not talking about drunkenness or hatred or racism or violence or dishonoring your appearance. He's not talking about any of those things that are right and wrong, period. He's talking about that huge middle ground that exists inside of us because we are untidy messes growing gradually. And with regard to that, he says, you've got to leave space for this. I'll tell you a story from early in our marriage. Not long after uh, Ron and I became believers, we began to become aware in the same way that we had become aware of the whole horror movie thing. We began to become aware that we had loads and loads of music that was pretty obscene and pretty offensive in a lot of ways that didn't honor God at all. Thousands of dollars worth of these ancient little things called cassette tapes. Maybe some of you are familiar with them. I had just a gigantic collection of them. And as I began to listen to them, now that this kingdom was growing in me, I began to go, that's, that's not good. That's not right. That's not helpful. That's, that's no good. And, and so I became increasingly convicted about it. Finally, on one weekend, I got so convicted that I took all these cassette tapes. There must have been seven, $8,000 worth of them. Got them in a giant garbage bag. And I told my wife, I'm throwing them away. She said, what's wrong with you? You're going to throw them all away? Can't we find somebody to give them to? And we had maybe one of the first big fights of our Christian life. And I gave her my self-righteous response. Honey, when you find snakes in your backyard, you don't throw them over the fence. <laughs> I can be stupid. She said, it's not all bad. I said, I, you know, and so all of it went in the garbage. Now, here's, here's the end of the story. Today... I have some of that music. Some of that I went back and bought. Some of that I listen to to this day. Why? Because in that moment, that was the right move for me. I needed to do that right then. At that point in my growth as a believer, I needed to get rid of anything and everything associated with all this. 
But then as I matured in Christ, I began to realize, you know what? A lot of this stuff isn't a problem. A lot of this stuff isn't a big deal. And so I can keep some and throw away the rest. Now, I tell you that story because that's what Paul's talking about here. We're at different stages in our growing. You and me have to leave time and space for each other to grow up in God or to grow into different parts of the body of Christ. This is what Paul is concerned about when he writes in verse 17, as we said a moment ago, that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God. Let me say it this way. Our life together as Jesus' church is how the kingdom of God comes alive in our world. Our life together as Jesus' church is part of how the kingdom invades the world. Jesus spoke powerfully about this in John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23, his last night on earth. The Bible says he turned and prayed for you and I, believers down through the centuries, and he prayed a very specific prayer. He said, Father, may they be brought to complete unity so that the world will believe that you have sent me. Father, may they be one so that the world will believe that you have sent me. In other words, the most powerful witness to the world around us is our life together as the people of God, is our unity, our affinity for one another, within which is this willingness to love each other deeply so much that we cover over a multitude of sins, that we choose what we see in each other, that we recognize that some of us are early in the growth process, some of us are late in the growth process, and there's everybody in between. Philip Yancey quotes a friend of his who's a pastor in India. His friend says, most of what happens in Christian churches in the West, including miracles, I have seen duplicated in Hindu and Muslim congregations. He said, but the one area where Christians are completely different is that they strive, however ineptly, (laughs) to mix together people of every caste, every ethnic background, every color and age and social group. And he said, that is the miracle. The others can't do that at all. The others do not have the power to love one another across differences. So what is he talking about? He's talking about what Jesus talked about, this reality that the kingdom happens as we embrace and love one another, as we call ourselves the church, as we call ourselves brothers and sisters, as we call ourselves one The kingdom of God is gradual and happening inside of people. It starts in tiny, small things. It grows in messy fields full of weeds. And if that's true, then we will be patient and gracious with each other's differences, embracing each other despite disagreements over disputable matters, and thereby show the world a power it desperately needs to know. See, friends, the kingdom happens as we choose to love one another like people in process, like a family, like a church. We're almost done this morning, and and let me tell you something you know. Raising kids is messy and hard, but it's worth it. It is so worth it. And when we have kids in our house, especially small children, we arrange the house for them. We don't arrange it for us who are grown and mature. We arrange it for the kids. It's the same in Jesus' church. Mature Christ followers understand this. And so as we get older, we increasingly live like adults in a daycare or a middle school. We increasingly live in the church 
like adults in a middle school. And that's the way it should be. No adult wants a bunch of cartoon characters painted on the wall and toy boxes in the corners and sippy cups on the table. But we delight in it if we choose to love our kids. And it's the same in the Father's house. The kingdom of God happens as we become other-centered in his church. That is the role of those of us who are growing older. That is how we become what Jesus called a city on a hill or a lamp on a stand. We become other-centered. I remember when our son Isaiah was very small, we lived in Idaho, and and we had a big pot-bellied stove that heated uh, our little uh, cabin, a place where we lived. And, um, you know, Isaiah hadn't experienced a fireplace before, and and so we would tell him, hey, we don't touch it, it's hot, but of course, you know, he's four, so what does he do? At one point, he touches, it gets a big blister on his hand. He healed of it, but after that, (laughs) anytime anybody would come to our house, They'd come in the door and Isaiah would come over and we remember it, we talk about it to this day, he would meet him at the door and he'd point and he'd go, hot, hot, you know what I mean? People are like, okay, right, you know, and he'd go, hot, you know. Yeah, and, and that's how Jesus wants us to become in his church, right? Other-centered, concerned about, we will be a, re- we're almost done, we will be a really healthy church, really healthy when all the young people are asking for more hymns and all the older folks are recommending good Christ-like tattoos, once we get there, (laughs) we will be really healthy. And so the kingdom happens as we embrace each other as weirdos because all of us are at different stages in our journey. And these differences, hear me because we're done, these differences are how love happens. These differences are how the kingdom happens. We didn't have them. God's grace and power couldn't be made visible in us. But because we do, it can be. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, no one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So the kingdom of God happens as we make that choice. When I was in the military, I experienced two very different environments. The first one was a boot camp. (laughs) The second one was a hospital. The first was designed to weed out everyone who didn't reach a certain standard, and it worked. We started with 90, we finished with 58. The second one, the hospital, was designed to make every allowance for anyone who didn't meet the standard. And the Church of Jesus is a hospital. Church of Jesus is a place for healing. So the kingdom happens as we own that. I just invite you to look at your neighbor right now. Go ahead, turn your head, look at him. And then say, you are a weirdo. And I'm with you. And I'm with you. That seems like a small thing. Jesus said it's everything. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, we hear your word. We hear you teaching us this morning. And you know, Lord, way down deep in our hearts, this is what we want. This is what we want. So teach us how to walk in this, how to live in this. Lord, those of us who've grown older and hopefully wiser in our faith, teach us that your church is a middle school, a hospital that your kingdom lives as we make allowances for one another. Those of us who are young, help us to realize there's so much we don't know yet. 
but that here, here we embrace each other. Here we own each other because this is where the kingdom of God is revealed to the world. We pray for that this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Stand with me, church, if you would. Yeah, yeah, yeah.